Well, welcome along to Uni Church tonight. Um, uh, if you're part of our growth groups, uh, they are kicking off again this week, Monday night. I've got two on Wednesday as well. And, uh, and so uh, they'll be kicking off this week. If you're not part of a growth group yet, you're most welcome to come and join us and uh, get in on the action as we go through the book of Judges. And uh, yeah, you can let us know on the comment card that uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about uh, a little bit later, but hopefully you've got some notes there. And we'll have a question time at the end as well, and so um, uh, if something comes up in your mind and you want to ask questions, uh, you can use your pen and scribble that down as well. Uh, now I'm excited to preach on perhaps one of the least read books of the Bible, uh, the book of Leviticus. Um, if you have read it, it can be quite hard and boring. <coughs> Uh, but once you understand why it's in the Bible, uh, you see its importance, well, uh, it's really quite beautiful. And uh, I'm really looking forward to spending the next term in Leviticus together. And so tonight, yeah, we're just going to look at one verse, the first verse, and uh, we're going to do a bit of the Bible overview to orient us into the world of Leviticus. Uh, we're going to need God's help to do that, so please pray with me. Our Father, as we gather together this evening, we thank you that you are a God of love and of peace. And as we remember those who gave their lives to bring us peace today, uh, thank you for our Lord Jesus, who gave his life that we might have peace with you. Help us as we come to your ancient words tonight. Please speak to us, help us to see your love for us in them and the peace that you purchased for us at such great cost. Amen. Well, I wonder what your idea of paradise is. What's your idea of paradise? Is it camping with friends by a mountain stream? Or is it staying at a five-star resort on a tropical island? Maybe it's a bit of a comparison there between blokes camp and girls getaway, I don't know. Uh, is paradise is paradise for you like a romantic getaway with your lover? Maybe paradise, maybe, maybe you'd settle for people just to stop treating you like crap. But that would be paradise. Or where your body would finally work properly for once in its life. Wouldn't that be paradise? As we kick off our new series in Leviticus tonight, we come across a crusty old legal textbook, three and a half thousand years old. It's got all sorts of weird laws to govern the ancient people of Israel. And you'd be right to wonder how on earth a book like that has anything at all to do with paradise. Well, I've titled this series Living with God, and the book of Leviticus is all about how people can live with God, and to live with God is paradise. And Leviticus is about living with God which is paradise. Now, I imagine that's probably not what comes to mind when you think of paradise. In fact, many people would think that is what hell would be like. Yet the Bible describes paradise as the place where God lives. Jesus tells the thief on the cross next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. John writes in Revelation, people will eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. It's paradise because God is there. 
And he welcomes people from every tribe and nation to live in his abundant goodness and blessing forever. Hear how the sons of Korah sing about living with God from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home, and a swallow a nest for herself, where she places her young near your altars, Lord of armies, my King and my God. How blessed are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. Living with God is paradise. And I ask you, do you long for paradise? Does your heart and flesh cry out for the living God? To put an end to brokenness and evil and pain. The book of Leviticus is an essential step in the journey to paradise. And tonight we're only going to look at the first sentence and we'll see how this sentence and this crusty old legal textbook is very good news for us. So Leviticus chapter 1 verse 1 says, Then the Lord summoned Moses and spoke to him, from the tent of meeting. Now, do you notice the first word of the book there? The word, then. Now, that's not how you start a book, is it? I don't know how many of you have written books, but I'm sure some of you have at least read a book. Um, and it's really not how you start a book. Uh, the whole sentence is really a bizarre way to start a book, isn't it? It's not very gripping. It seems to leave out the important story of the start. So to help us out, uh, to see how the then is good news, uh, Kayla's going to come back up. She did such a smashing job last time. <laughs> She's going to come and read a little bit more for us from uh, Exodus. So uh, if you've got your Bibles there, just turn back a page uh, to Exodus chapter 40 from verse 34. And at this point, Moses has just finished building an elaborate tent for God to live in. So Exodus 40 from verse 34. Thanks, Taylor. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Israelites set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle throughout all the stages of their journey. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night, visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. Then the Lord summoned Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Thanks, Caleb. That makes a little bit more sense, but there's still lots of stuff in there. What does all of that mean? Well, um, the good news of then is that Leviticus is part of a larger story. That's what we should see when we see the word then. Leviticus is part of a larger story. And it's a part of a larger story where God has come to live among his people. It was a really big moment what happened there at the end of Exodus 30. As, as God comes and descends and lives among the people there. But now this larger storyline of the Bible, it begins with God living with his people. That God was living with his people in his place in the Garden of Eden. And they were living there under his rule and blessing. So they were living in paradise 
with God. And we might get the first slide coming up there for us. So uh, I've got some pictures here for you. So here's where we are in Genesis in creation. Okay, the, This little thing here is a symbol for God in Trinity. And uh, he was there in the, in the beginning. And so in that first place there, uh, we have God living with his people. In his place, under his rule, under his blessing in paradise. There was peace, there was joy, there was harmony, there was no death, there was no shame, there was no sin. They were in the paradise of God. But before too long, Adam and Eve wanted to live in God's world without God. So they chose to sin and and that had devastating consequences. Uh, Every relationship that was there broke. Their relationship with God, their relationship with each other, their relationship with the creation. And God couldn't live with them anymore. So in the second one here, so God couldn't live anymore uh, with them. And uh, it's because God is perfect in every way. He, he can't live among imperfection. God, who is love, cannot be in the same room as evil. Uh, you know, just like vampires are killed by direct sunlight... So too, uh, sinful humans, they are killed by direct exposure to the perfect God. They can't coexist. And so God's kind of left with two options. Um, Kind of like if you've ever had a really bad housemate. You're left with two options. Either you destroy them or you depart from them. So God, in his kindness, he departs from them. Well, he, he kicks them out of the garden and they are now to live in the world that is broken, where relationships are broken, where, where work is hard and difficult. But God in his love couldn't leave it that way. He wanted his precious creation to be restored to him, for them to be once again able to, to live with him in peace, in paradise. And so God chooses a man called Abraham and plans to bless the entire world through Abraham and his descendants. And one of those descendants is Moses, who we were introduced to at the start of Leviticus. Moses leads God's people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. And after, they, uh, after God has rescued them under Moses, he brings them to Mount Sinai, where, where Moses meets with God, up on the top of Mount Sinai. Uh, You might remember that uh, Moses gets the Ten Commandments and and a bunch of other laws for how Israel are to live as God's people. And part of the the laws that God gave Moses there were about the tabernacle, the tent. This special tent where God's glory would reside among them. And so as we come to the book of Leviticus, we're up to the the third step here. So here's Moses. Um, Here's the the tent that God comes to, to live in. Um, the fire there is to represent his, his presence and uh, we see all the sacrifices that will happen there as well. But um, uh, as we come to Leviticus, Moses has just built that tent to all the exacting requirements that God laid out in the end of Exodus and God's glory descends upon the tent and he now lives among his people. So that's the good news of, of then. There's a a whole big story that has happened before we get to Leviticus. And basically God has returned to live among his people. It's not the same as it was um, back in creation. You can see the difference there between uh, point one and point three. 
Uh, it's not the same, uh, but it's heading in the right direction. And so the good news then continues because as verse 1 continues, the Lord summoned Moses and spoke to him. A talk is pretty cheap these days. There are so many words, so much information, so much misinformation, so much noise and so much chatter. But to have God speak is astounding. The God of the universe, the one whose powerful words spoke creation into existence. Back in Genesis, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Can you imagine hearing someone with such power and authority speak? He came to speak to Moses. It's no wonder that in Exodus chapter 20 that the whole nation of Israel, they didn't want to hear God speak. They say to Moses, Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. Just like sunlight to a vampire. God speaking is a daunting and fearful experience because he exposes completely. He sees right through us. He sees our inner thoughts and desires, and that's a pretty scary thing. Yet, friends, it really is good news that God does speak because he speaks words of truth, words of comfort. His words enable us to know him, to know ourselves, and to know the way to paradise. And it's good news that God continues to speak today, not from a distance, not kind of yelling out from a tent in Moses' days, but through the word who became flesh. Uh, we, we're told this in John chapter 1 that, um, uh, that Jesus himself speaks. God comes in the person of Jesus and he continues to speak today. So it's good news that God speaks. Now the good news continues in verse 1 from the tent of meeting. Now, God has come and he's rolled out his swag to live among his people. And he's come, he's not in, at a distance from, you know, like a, the, the burning bush and only Moses or from the top of Mount Sinai. He has come into the camp and he's rolled out his swag to live with his people. Now, this tent that Moses built, uh, sometimes it's called a tabernacle. And uh, I've got a picture here of, of what that uh, might have looked like. Um, it's a pretty big and, and elaborate building. Uh, there's a size comparison there. Like there's an American football field, and there's the kind of the size of the temple there, so half the football field. Uh, it's pretty big, but uh, the thing is, it's also portable. And so as they journey from Egypt into the Promised Land, um, the Promised Land is another picture of, of paradise itself, well, they're to pack it all up, and they're to move the tabernacle to wherever God tells them to go. Uh, but as they enter into the promised land itself, um, the tabernacle is moved to a couple of different locations before King Solomon uh, builds a permanent house for God in Jerusalem, the temple. And so there's a more permanent tabernacle, um, the, the temple. And, uh, and so as we come back to Leviticus now, um, God lives among them inside the camp. And it's a really good thing that he does. But it also means that they have a huge problem on their hands. And the problem is this. How is it that a holy God 
can live among an unholy people? How can truth and goodness mingle with wickedness? And this is the question of Leviticus. This is how it can happen. And it's really the question of the whole Bible. How can a holy God live among an unholy people? Or to put it more personally, how can an unholy people, how can we live in the paradise of God? Well, that's what we're going to be working out throughout this series as we read about laws and bloody animal sacrifices, as we discover God's kindness in forgiving sin, as he welcomes people into his presence. But all of this needs to be done in exactly the right way. Okay, All of the buildings need to be done perfectly. All of the laws need to be followed perfectly. Or else you end up like two of Aaron's sons in chapter 10 who get burned to death as flames leap out of the tent. And we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. As we spend the term in Leviticus, each week we'll be seeing how Leviticus is really all about Jesus. How Jesus enables us to live with God. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. As John writes in his Gospel, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, the, the dwelling word there, the dwell word, is the tabernacle word. Jesus came and tabernacled among his people. He tented, he rolled out his swag among them. And so we see Leviticus pointing towards Jesus in the fact too that Jesus becomes the sacrifice, the once for all sacrifice that takes away our sin and makes us right with God. And as Jesus rises to life again, he ascends into heaven and pours out his Holy Spirit. And God's people become the dwelling place of God on earth. So we might jump to the next slide there. Thanks, Caitlin. And so we've actually got some more happening here. So from Leviticus, we come down to Jesus over here, who is God in the flesh, who comes to live among his people, who himself becomes the sacrifice. And so as Jesus dies, rises to life and ascends into heaven, he pours out his Holy Spirit. And so uh, here from uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, in Jesus, the whole building, and he's speaking metaphorically here um, about, about the church, about people. In Jesus, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So Christians are now the dwelling place of God in the world. Christians are now the dwelling place of God in the world as he lives in us by his Holy Spirit. So God's dwelling place is in the church. We might go back to the picture of, yep, it's okay, so we're up to here now. So as Jesus sends his spirit, the people, the church, become the, the dwelling place of God in the world today. And then as God works in his people, as he transforms them each day in holiness, he's preparing us for the final step there, of eternity with him in paradise. And so in this new creation, in this new creation, in the paradise of God, uh, there is no temple. Because as we read right at the start of Uni Church, 
um, or close to the start in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 21, God and the Lamb are the temple. We don't need a building anymore because God and the Lamb are the temple and we walk in his light. In the paradise of God, we will see Jesus face to face and we won't be destroyed by fire. We won't be kicked out of his new garden. Our bodies will be made new and they'll be unbreakable. Relationships will never break down again. Death will no longer exist. There'll be no more grief or crying or pain. And we'll live there forever. It's a paradise that will far exceed any dream of paradise you might have. And whatever paradise it might be that you're working for through your hours and years of study, where are you hoping that's going to get you? What sort of paradise? By the years of sweat of your working life, what sort of paradise are you hoping for? What about your desires in having a particular family life or the Insta-worthy holiday? It's not really paradise without God. It's a fake paradise, one that you can never achieve and one that if you do chase after it will always leave you empty. Don't be sucked into working your whole life for that paradise and miss the paradise of God. Friends, I want to invite you on a journey through Leviticus over the next term. Let me encourage you to read ahead each week. We're going to cover chapters 1 to 7 next Sunday. Sadly, I'm not going to be preaching on every individual verse. But I want you to come on this journey with me so that you can grasp along with me just how amazing Jesus is. That he would die so that we might live with God. That we might be filled with joy at just how good living with God forever is going to be. And you don't even need to kill any animals to get it. Well, let's pray and then we'll have some question time. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your incredible kindness, you do not treat us as our sin deserves, but you shower us with love and grace. Thank you that in Jesus you have done the impossible. You've made a way for unholy people like us to live with you forever. Amen. Um, and before we get to question time, as we look to care for one another, I want to give you a moment to uh, fill in uh, your communication card. Uh, so just on the front, uh, front flap there, there's a QR code there. Uh, I want to give you a moment just to fill that in and uh, you can let us know if there's any way that we can be praying for you uh, or anything else. Uh, if you've got questions, you can pop them down there. Um, I'll give you a moment to fill that in before we, uh, we have question time.
Well, I love uh, having question time, and uh, I think it's one of the great things we do here at Uni Church uh, as we grapple with God's Word together. Uh, just one verse tonight. Maybe you've got a whole lot of questions from that. Maybe you don't. Um, uh, but now's your chance to ask away. Yes, Izzy? Um, just thinking about um, how you were saying that we are now the dwelling place of God in the world is um, from that Ephesians passage. Mm. Is that to say that God only dwells in us? Mm. Yeah, so that's God only dwelling in us. Um, uh, there's an important... Um, I think one of the ways to answer that, Izzy, is uh, at the, the dedication of the Temple of Solomon, um, uh, he talks about that in... Um, uh, and I think he answers that, but I'm just trying to work out exactly where uh, uh, that is. So 1 Kings chapter 8... Uh, verse 27. And uh, I think this is really important for us as we uh, get into Leviticus, um, because how is it that God could live in a tent out in the desert of Sinai, or even in the temple, or even in people? Uh, and so, as Solomon is, is praying at the opening of uh, the temple, uh, he says this in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. He says, But will God indeed live on earth? Even heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you, much less this temple I have built. Uh, and so uh, uh, Solomon knows that while God's kind of glorious presence is going to, to be in the temple, uh, that God cannot be contained to that. He is so much bigger and, uh, and grander and exists kind of outside of time and space. Uh, and so I think if we use that to think about how does God live, is he only living in us now? No. Um, God is, uh, uh, one of the definitions of, or one of the uh, important ways to understand holiness is God is other to us. He is different to us. And uh, he's different to us because he can kind of exist all over the place at the same time. We can't do that. Um, you know, even if we get dismembered, um, we can only exist so many places. Uh, but God is not like that. Uh, he's outside of time and space, yet in Jesus he comes in the flesh. Uh, and so his spirit is able to come and live in each of his people. And so, yes, uh, God by his spirit lives in his people, but it is not the the whole complete um, completeness of God. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Izzy. Good question. Any other questions, friends? Yeah, what you got, Benny? <laughs> Yep. 
Well, if we go back to that slide, one big difference is that Jesus will be there in the flesh um, and, and we will see him and, and be with him in that way. Uh, there'll be lots more people there. Um, will be another one. Um, but I think one of the, and I think this is probably more where you're coming from, is, uh, is we'll actually um, know more about what God himself is like because of all of this big journey uh, where Jesus had to come and to be the sacrifice. And so uh, every person who is there, whose name is written in that book of life, will know how much God loves them and the extent to which he went to in order to have them there through uh, giving up his son. And so the, the difference is that all these people here will know God's love for them in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we will know and experience love and that will just make, uh, experience grace and that will make us even more thankful for, um, uh, for him making us, redeeming us. Yeah. Yeah, good one, mate. Last chance. Anyone, anyone going, going? Gone. Well, I'm going to, I think, what are we going to do next? Sing. We're going to sing? Great.